welcome to the Possibility Podcast with me, your host, Sarah Knight. In this podcast, I explore what it means to be alive on the earth today amidst our climate crisis. And for me, that means getting very curious about all of this possibility that we carry around inside us. What if we could harness this and put it towards finding balance again and creating a better, more sustainable future? Hello and welcome. Today I am delighted to have with me one of my most favorite people in the world. Uh, For those of you that take my classes or that have seen me for private sessions, you will likely have heard me reference this woman. Yes, it is the infamous Mona Warner. Mona is an Ayurvedic practitioner, an Ayurveda yoga therapist, a yoga teacher, and a yoga teacher trainer. And she is the founder of the Janati Yoga School here. Here in Kingston. Mona is a published author. In the last two years, well, 18 months really, she has published two fantastic books Ayurveda's Three Pillars of Health and Ayurvedic Yoga Three Approaches to Teaching. Uh, both I would highly recommend. And today I have asked Mona to talk to me really based on her most recent publication, a workbook called the Grief and Ayurveda Workbook. Uh, I think this publication is extremely timely. Um, Grief is always relevant for all of us individually as we just live experience loss and change in our lives Um, but certainly I think it's becoming more and more relevant as the world around us is changing so much Um, something that has been very near and dear to my heart because I have been feeling it um, and I've been trying to hold space for other people to feel it is on the subject of um, environmental grief, climate change grief, the grief that we are experiencing because of the rapid changes and losses that the environment is experiencing because of the effects of climate change. Um, so Mona, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So Mona, could you just uh, tell me a little bit about what Ayurveda is. Mm. Ayurveda is an ancient Indian medical science. So there's a huge scientific basis to it. Although when it was created, we didn't have things like MRIs and microscopes and stuff like that. So it's a, a really fascinating science to study modern day, given that so many of the ancient traditional practices and wisdoms are now being shown by modern science, by our modern scientific method approach uh, to be very useful for health and and giving more traction to why Ayurveda is helpful. One of the things I love about Ayurveda as a practice, so yes, it's this Indian medical science. However, it's also about living in alignment with natural rhythms and So the way the science actually emerged was through deep contemplative and meditative practices where rishis, uh, rishi is a Sanskrit word that means seer, so someone who sees reality, where these rishis were able to really see how aligning with natural rhythms gave us health. 
and how moving away from alignment with these natural rhythms is part of what opens the door for disease to take hold. And so an example of a really simple practice that aligns us with the rhythms of nature would be something like waking up with the sun or a little bit before the sun. So as the earth wakes up, right, as your area of the earth awakens, it's time for you to awaken. And when the sun goes down in your area, then it's time for you to, to go to rest. And so there are, a ver there are hundreds and thousands of different practices, all at their core with the intention of aligning the human being with the natural rhythms, because from the Ayurvedic perspective, humans aren't the stewards of nature. We are a thread in the tapestry of nature. We are a thread in the tapestry of nature. And if we don't follow her rhythms, if we don't follow her guidance, that dissonance, that friction eventually leads to things wearing down or wearing out too quickly and we get sick. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. And I mean, I, I knew little about Ayurveda before I met you. And of course, I've just learned a lot from our conversations, from our books, from the sessions that I've had with you. Um, and this is why it speaks to me so profoundly, because of what you just said. We aren't stewards for nature. We are a thread in the tapestry. And so when you talk about how we don't follow these natural rhythms and things wear down, how would you, from your Ayurvedic perspective, see what is happening in, in the world right now in regards to our environment, our climate? Ayurveda is one of many Vedic sciences. So there's this small set of books known as the Vedas, and they are the ancient philosophical spiritual teachings of India, which is where they emerged from. And one of the themes, as far as I understand, and my knowledge of the Vedas is limited, I only know yoga and I only know Ayurveda, right? Which even has the word Veda right in, in the science of it. Um, I only know these two parts of the Vedic tradition, which is massive. There are so many different practices and so many different sciences that have evolved from that. The part that strikes me is that the, the wound needing to be healed is the perception of separation. That there is a you and there is a me and we are different. And from a spirit perspective, so when we look at the Vedas from a spiritual perspective, the core teaching is that of wholeness, that we are not two, there is only one. And I feel like from an in so many ways, this plays out, including in what's happening with climate change and the environment. We see the planet as separate from us. We respond in fear. We react in a variety of ways that are not conducive to supporting her health. And if we realized that we are one, there is not two we are all threads in the same tapestry. It would be interesting to see what the response would be or how responses would change. Yes. 
And have you observed that? So as people come into, I mean, you, you have worked with so many students, you enlighten so many people on the, the wisdom of Ayurveda. Have you observed how people have changed their viewpoints and maybe their behaviors and actions in regards to their place in the environment, in nature, on the earth? I feel like a core teaching of yoga and Ayurveda is one of self-awareness. So yoga is the science of self-realization. This does not happen without some modicum of awareness. <laughs> and Ayurveda, in order for us to know which rhythms to align with and when and how, there also needs to be a level of self-awareness that is cultivated. So I believe this is one of the gifts of Vedic science is the cultivation and expansion of awareness. However, not just for the self. <laughs> it might start there because we have to sort of get our own house in order before we can really contribute in a powerful, sustainable and meaningful way. However, the idea is to get your house in order to support everybody else. It's to be of service. And I have seen so many, I've seen so much change and so much growth and so much evolution. And I've seen where people have been able to create the space for differences of opinion and viewpoint while maintaining a level of peaceful equanimity and compassion, which is really beautiful. We don't all have to be the same or think the same or agree on things. And yet how we disagree matters. The way we disagree matters because this can either maintain the threads of interconnectivity of union between us or can really widen the gap of separation where that becomes the predominant viewpoint, the predominant way of behaving, acting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of folks do a lot of growth work, wow. which is a real honor. And so I really like what you what you said there about just about holding space and the workbook that you put together seemed to me to be a lot about that this idea that that um, expressing grief is a little bit about increasing your capacity to be the space for it to move or to hold the space for yourself or for other people. Yeah, so it's, it really is about creating space and then holding that space in a variety of ways. When we don't have the capacity for something, we tend to shut down in a variety of ways. Maybe it's by being overly busy with other things. So we distract ourselves so that we don't have to be in the space of the grief or whatever emotion is arising that feels overwhelming. Um, or we might numb out. So we might shut down in the other direction, which is just like Doritos and Netflix. And I say both of those things, and I just want to be really clear, I have absolutely, without a doubt, done both of those things. So I have a tendency to be overly busy. And I also love to binge watch shows on Netflix. I don't eat Doritos, I eat chocolate instead. So everybody can just feel however they want to feel about that. That's, that's how I do it. And I also am working on increasing and building my capacity to be with how I feel. I learned that going through therapy though. So the whole way that the 
the whole way that the emotional world opened up for me was um, when I was in a depression. And so I ended up depleted and depressed due to a few different life experiences. And I ended up in therapy because I couldn't function. And this is part of where the my knowledge around emotions and working with emotions and holding space and capacity started. This is where like all those seeds were were planted. And as part of my healing journey, Ayurveda showed up. And so I followed that lead. I've learned that when the universe points me in a direction, um, its current is much stronger than my will. So it is best to follow the flow of the universe. Um, and so in, into Ayurveda, I went and have been for a while now. And when it comes to emotions, Ayurveda acknowledges a whole bunch of different emotional energies and different emotional flavors. And one of the things that interested me a lot about grief and Ayurveda, based on my experience of having had to do a lot of grieving for losses of all sorts, was that it, grief is an emotion. It is a natural experience to loss, loss of any kind, loss of something that you loved, even loss of something that you didn't love. So you can feel grief at losing something that you were actually really hoping would go away anyways. But then once it's gone, you're like, man, turns out I missed that. Um, my funniest story around grief was I remember when I was in my mm -hmm. depression or in the depression, I'm not really sure how I wanna label that. When I was in that place, I remember one day I woke up and I went to the kitchen table and I was you know, doing the things I was doing. And I remember feeling like something was missing, like something's missing. What am, I, what am I missing? And I checked and I'm like, no, wearing pants, got the shoes, you know, have my breakfast, have my cup of tea. What is missing? And then I realized it was the grief had let me go. And how did I respond to that? Oh, but I'd had that for like two whole years. Like, it's kind of sad that it's gone now. And then my, the, my mind, the next language was like, dude, are you serious? You have been trying to ditch this, this travel partner You've been trying to ditch this travel partner for two years. And now that they've finally gone to a different rest stop from you, you're going to be like, oh, I miss you. Grief, come back. We're so funny. Humans are so funny in our responsiveness and in our, um, how we work with emotions and how we tend to be really uncomfortable around such a natural felt state. So anyhow, I ended up doing a, an exploration of the Ayurvedic classical texts with regards to grief and what did they say about grief? Because I was curious how this classical ancient medical science was going to approach something that, that I, was, I had experienced, I had an interest in. And this was all right before pandemic mode hit. So I was doing this research paper and this exploration at the end of February, 2020. So it literally was right before, two weeks before it all kind of really went big. And what struck me was that in, in almost every single reference that grief was in, it said the emotion of grief. And so it acknowledged that it was the way that people felt that it wasn't a disease, but that grief could absolutely open the door to disease. 
And I think what happens there is there are some emotions and for everyone, it's a little different. Grief just happened to be a thing I am destined to work on in this lifetime. Somebody else might have a different emotion they're destined to learn about and master or have an opportunity to learn more about master in this lifetime. Um, and what struck me as so interesting was all the different references of if your grief goes unprocessed, you could get sick this way. If your grief goes unprocessed, you could get sick that way. If your grief goes unprocessed or this type of fever tends to be associated with grieving. And I was like, wow, that's so specific because the Ayurvedic classical texts are actually very, very precise in terms of the, the signs and symptoms and how everything interconnects. And what I realized was that one of the one of the things that grief does is it destabilizes what's known as Ayurveda's three pillars of health. And so in Ayurvedic teachings, there are these three pillars of health. The first one is nourishment. So our capacity to nourish ourselves on all levels. And in order to be nourished, you have to have enough digestive strength to digest and assimilate what you take in, whether that's a food or an experience or, um, a relationship, you have to be able to digest what unfolds, whatever you take in. And if you digest what you take in, you get nourished by it. And if you don't digest it, it builds up as this thick, ooey, gooey, slimy, channel blocking, mm -hmm. clogging goo in your system known as ama. And so the first pillar of nourishment is all about taking in things that you can digest so that it builds you up, right? It gives you nourishment. It builds you up on all these levels. And then the second pillar is sleep. We have to get restorative sleep. It's part of our biological mandate, but it's also part of our mental emotional mandate. That's part of when we digest a lot of our emotional energies and process a lot of the experiences that we've had. So the sleep piece, the second pillar is really important. And then our third pillar is energy or resource management. And that means knowing, I always think of uh, my first naturopathic doctor, Dr. Christina, and she always said to me, you know, you have to, you have to do like the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation. And when she first mentioned it, I thought, what on earth is happening right now? What are we talking about? And she said, you have to know your limits and play within them. Because it turns out that's the OLGC motto. And it's so perfect where you have to know how much energy you have and only spend that mm. much. You have to know how much capacity you have and only, only go that far. And what this does is it teaches us how to work with our vital essences. It teaches us how to work with our energy and it teaches us how to work with our, and our immunity and our, our stamina. Mm. And it teaches us how to work with our intelligence, our brilliance, our discernment. And so these three pillars together are a powerhouse for feeling great and being able to live a life of purpose, because when we're not distracted by unnecessary suffering, then we can really be active in the world. Although I don't want to remove the fact that sometimes it is our suffering that makes us an effective catalyst for change in the world. Mm. I know that was my particular context. So I had to suffer before I wanted to remove that suffering for everybody I could, that crossed my path. So what happens with grief is it destabilizes these three pillars. So when we grieve, um, we have to digest the grief, which means it's then harder to digest our food and our experiences. And if you think about 
a loss or a grief you've had, a lot of times it just feels like it lands on us. And it just sits there. Mm. It's like we, we can't get through it. We can't understand it. Why did this happen? Why is that happening? What is going on right now? When will this go away? <laughs> like we have such a hard time digesting that particular emotion and it churns. And so we use a lot of energy or a lot of resources, mm. kind of like a hamster running in the wheel, but it doesn't always mean we get anywhere. And then grief also affects our ability to rest well, because we end up so stimulated by the churning, but also exhausted by it, mm. that it really affects our capacity to sleep, which affects our capacity to digest the grief. <laughs> and then if we're in a grieving process, a lot of our energy, a lot of our resources going to grieving, which means it's not going to other things like clearing your system and boosting your immunity and helping you make good choices. And, you know, so the the process of grieving really affects the three pillars of health and it's the three pillars that keep the door to disease closed mm -hmm. and so if these pillars sort of start to get wobbly then our health gets wobbly and this is how being in a process of grief especially if we don't know how to work with our emotions then we end up in it longer mm -hmm. the longer we're in an intense grief the more destabilized the pillars get. Mm. And so the more likely something's going to happen. And it happens often where people are grieving something very deep and intense, and then they get sick. Mm -hmm. Whether it's they catch whatever's going around or some, you know, they get a diagnosis of something or they start to notice like this didn't happen before. And since so-and-so passed, now I have this thing. Mm -hmm. And so it, the idea behind the workbook is to help people understand more about the three pillars so that they can actively and consciously make choices during their grief process to keep those three pillars strong. So it's working with the three pillars doesn't mean you get out of grieving. Like there is no around, right? There's only through. So you'll have to grieve your grief. You'll have to mourn the loss. You'll have to do all those things. However, by taking a little bit of time to figure out which of the pillars is wobbly <laughs> and where can we shore that up so that we have the stability of the three pillars, which then holds the space mm -hmm. for us to grieve. So I'm a big fan of making sure we have enough space for our emotional energies, for our, for our process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's where therapists came in for me was I needed someone else to hold that space because I didn't have enough capacity to do that for myself. And I feel like Ayurveda as a health science is great at creating and holding space while people navigate their own process and their own healing and their own whatever it is they need to navigate. So there are lots of different ways that we can have space held for us if we need a container outside of ours to hold us. Mm. I know when I have treatments with you, that's exactly how it feels. I go see you when I know I don't have the capacity to hold myself during a certain amount of inner work, but you hold a bigger space around me so that I can be as wobbly as I need to be inside. And then when we work through the thing, whatever it is, then everything goes back into place more solid. And then I can take that experience and hold that space for myself moving forward. So there are so many different ways that 
the holding of space can happen. It can be through a belief system. It can be through working with others. It can be through literally making room in your own life and your calendar so that you can go for a walk outside, so that you can do some self-care, so that you can journal, so that there are so many different ways that we can create and hold space. And I feel like Ayurveda is a beautiful, beautiful container for our inner change and transformation. Amazing. Beautifully explained. Thank you. And I really appreciate what you said too, that, you know, we can absolutely work on increasing our own inner capacity to be that space for ourselves. But there will be times where it doesn't matter how, how capable, how big we are, we need, we need help of a human being, of a belief system, of clearing the calendar. And, and I think that brings me to my next point, which is actually kind of where you started, um, that one of our innate responses when we feel an uncomfortable emotion is to want to avoid it, to either numb out or busy ourselves out of it, um, to do whatever we can do to try to not be aware. You know, you spoke about one of the gifts of Ayurveda is simply making people more aware of how they're feeling and of what's going on around them. Um, we have built a society that seems blissfully unaware of our uh, the impacts of our everyday actions on the world around us, even though science is screaming it at us right now. I mean, the latest thing that I've, the, the Guardian published an article um, on a report that was released by a leading energy expert who says that we have six months not 12 years. Last year, the report came out that we had 12 years to turn things around. This energy expert says we actually have six months because the, the global pandemic has created a window of opportunity that will close by the end of this year. And if that closes, we might as well forget about it. We are not going to get this opportunity again. Six months. So this is, I didn't even see this originally. You know, somebody told me about it and then I saw somebody else post it on Facebook and I've posted on Facebook and a few people have shared. And I think, wow, how are we, how are we uh, missing this one? How are we not all aware of this? And if we are aware of this, how are we managing to not actually face what this is telling us? And I get that it's huge and really, really hard to face. And it's, we would so much rather do anything else but face what that report means. But as we, you, we were speaking about before we started recording, actually, you know, however much we like to live in the hopes that something else will be possible, that somehow this will right and we won't actually have to do anything about it. Somehow something is going to happen and this is going to fix itself so that our children will actually have a future. Turning away from it doesn't change the fact that it's there. And the more we turn away from it, the more we're blocking ourselves up, the more we are diminishing our capacity to hold space for an increasingly huge problem with an increasingly huge number of emotional side effects. So how can we even begin to make space to process difficult information so that we can allow for the grief? It's like somebody coming to your door and telling you that someone close to you has just been killed in a car accident. Well, closing the door isn't going to change the fact that that's what's actually happened. We need to open the door to this one. 
Any, any thoughts there, Mona? One of my favorite movies is The Matrix mm. with Keanu Reeves. And what's so interesting about that movie is it's a, it's a play on the concepts of the perennial philosophy, which, which share that there's this, there are multiple levels of reality that exist. There are multiple levels of reality that exist and we can choose to be in the matrix and and not know that we're all batteries plugged into a big machine that help keep it running or we can find a way to unplug from that illusion to see what is really happening Plus I like sci-fi and action movies. And so that all of that put together was right up my alley. Um, and one of the parts of the movie that fascinated me was there was one character, Cypher, played by um, Joey Pants. And he, he at one point says, I would give anything to go back into the illusion. You know, I would give anything to go back into the matrix and just eat a steak and enjoy eating my steak. And a lot of different practices and a lot of different philosophical systems exist to try to help us awaken from the illusion, right? Awaken from the illusion. And what I find particularly challenging in modern times is the amount of distraction. So even if you're wanting to look in one direction and focus your energy somewhere, there are so many different things that are like, but look over here instead but look over there instead. Oh no, don't look at this thing here. Look at that thing there. And I think we need to be so very discerning about where we point our attention. In yoga, we are taught that prana, your vital life essence, the energy that makes you alive, follows your focus. So whatever it is you're looking at, staring at, or thinking about, that's what you're imbuing with energy. That's where you're putting your life energies into the thing you focus on. Prana follows focus. And so part of the yoga teachings and my gratitude towards the yoga teachings goes to the practices that help us learn how to focus on the thing we choose to focus on and not be distracted by all the other things that are happening and flowing about in our, our current environment. There are so many distractions. So I also want to mention that I think it takes a lot of courage to open ourselves up to the pain and suffering of reality. And I think that's why a lot of people are more comfortable in the illusion, because the illusion gives us the sense of comfort and stability that we desperately seek. Um, and the reality of the world as it is right now is that it is very unstable and it is very uncertain and there is so much suffering. Look everywhere you look, there's so much suffering. It can be very overwhelming. And I always think about um, my, I've done a lot of yoga training at the Kripalu Center for Health and Wellness, and they have this acronym, BRFWA, B-R-F-W-A, BRFWA, 
it's and I'm a ex technologist, so like I, you know, went to school for computer programming. That's a terrible acronym. However, I love what it represents. <laughs> love what it represents. Breathe, relax, feel, watch, and allow. Breathe, relax, feel, watch, and allow. And I think part of what happens is our nervous system is still wired for a different time. Mm-hmm. Right? Our nervous system is still wired to run away from the tiger. <laughs> And I don't know about anybody else, but it's been a long time since I've seen a tiger walking down the street that I needed to walk away from. And, and so we have this biology that's not quite matching our current context and circumstances, but the biology is responding in tiger run away, you know, lion act like wallpaper so that it walks by and eats someone else instead. Like we, we have this funny biology that is in a way an obstacle to our ability to be with what is real. And that's why I love Brifwa. It's this reminder for me that when I can feel my nervous system doing its thing, trying to keep me alive, thank you so much for that. I'm eternally grateful. However, what is happening in this moment maybe merits a different response Mm. than if I can connect to my breath, if I can soften my body for a moment, breathe, relax, and then notice how I feel. That's a step we tend to skip as soon as like overwhelm can happen because we're not able, available, ready to feel what arises within us. And So it might be shame at the oppression of, oh my gosh, can't even list all the different groups that have been and are being currently oppressed in the world right now. Um, And I know for me as a privileged white person, there's a, even though I may not have personally done those, I haven't done the actions that created all the suffering, I feel a great deal of shame that 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 happened, period. And then when I don't know how to respond to it or I don't know what to do to make it better, I feel more shame. So I need to learn to sit with my shame so that I can then be ashamed and cultivate compassion for everything that's happening and become more responsive. So I think there's a lot of the shutting down, the overwhelm is just another form of shutting down that happens when we can't hold space for our own emotions and feelings, we get stuck in them. And then it keeps us from being able to to be in action, to be responsive. Totally. Mona, amazing answer. Thank you. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Why would we choose to feel shame and grief. It's not that we choose to feel those things, but when those things arise, when they are, they we have no choice but to feel them or to try to package them away and shove them in as deep and far as we can until things back up and our body expresses disease, right? And if, if we can't figure out how to feel, It, managed, it maintains its hold on us, right? So an emotion that we're not prepared to feel maintains its hold on us. I remembered reading this book when I was in therapy and it talked about dancing with anger and how we are not the emotion. We are 
that energy is moving through us and it has the flavor of that emotion. And if we're able to move with, be with, sit with, honor that energy, mm. eventually the, the flavor dissolves and what we end up with is energy. Yes. And that's, that was a really powerful learning for me that emotions are in essence prana with different flavors. It just turns out we have preferences and this is such an interesting suffering creating behavior that we have done. Our, our sense of I does this where we prefer things. We have preferences. I like this. I don't like that. And then we try to navigate the world based on our likes and pushing away our dislikes. And I'm going to just be honest, the universe doesn't care what you like and what you don't like. And the more you lean on what you like and don't like, the more suffering you create for yourself and others. Because as you try to grab all the things that you like and hoard all the things that you like, then there's not enough for everybody else. And as you try to push away all the things that you don't like, you're denying experience to yourself and to others. And so the idea from a yogic perspective is to be able to navigate the world, recognizing what arises. So I'm recognizing I like this. I'm recognizing I don't like that. However, can I behave beyond my own sense of I and its likes and dislikes that are typically based in fear? And can I navigate the world and respond in the way that needs responding in this moment, regardless of what I like and what I don't like? And that we tend to call karma yoga or the, the yoga of ego transcending action of being in it for um, the greater good mm. to quote the movie hot fuzz, which I love. Mm. Um, so to, to be in it for the, the well-being of, of everyone, because going back to the beginning, we're all, we're all in us. We're all connected. We're all part of the same tapestry. Mona, amazing. That's um, so beautiful and so helpful for me to hear the words that you have put on it. I mean, I know I have uh, developed quite a wonderful practice for emotional release whenever I feel the buildup of anything inside my body. And it's something that I share with quite a few of my clients as a way of just maintaining the flow through your own system. And what I say, and this is absolutely true, when it starts to move, doesn't matter if it's joy, if it's despair, if it's anger, doesn't matter what it is. When it's in flow, it all feels freaking amazing. When it, is, when it is moving through my body, when it is being released. And so I love that, that prana with different flavors. That's, that's really helpful. Can I, I, I want to um, ask you specifically about uh, the grief around climate change reading your workbook was helpful. I think I, I started to understand it a little bit better. And, and what I found myself thinking about was something that I went through about a year ago. And what it was, was I realized when I entered in, when I started to realize what was happening in the world, and I decided to kind of dedicate some part of my awareness and my career to trying to write the imbalance, you know, um, that was we were at a certain position in the climate. I think we were at about 370 ppm of, you know, CO2 in the atmosphere, carbon in the atmosphere. And 
Um, you know, there was maybe we, we were nowhere near yet one degree of global warming. And I had been taking all of my science classes and had learned all about, look, we really don't want to get to 400 ppm and we really don't want to get to one degree and we really don't want the permafrost to start melting. And, and so I, I dug my heels in and I went, right, I'm on this. And I'm doing this. And I'm an unbelievably willful person <laughs> with like a ton of optimism and hope. But I had stopped there. I knew all the science. It's not that I didn't know nothing had happened. But internally, I had not caught up. I was, I had no idea. I was delusionally holding on to the dream of what was possible 25 years ago when I embarked on this. And then about a year ago, I actually went for a healing, had no idea this was going to come up. The healer expertly guided me to this place. And all of a sudden, I realized that dream that I had clung onto, that things were going to get no worse, that was it. It was stopping. It was ending. We were turning things around. The future was bright. I had clung to that dream. Holy cow. I knew it had changed, but inwardly, that dream was still alive. And a year ago, it shattered, it broke apart into a million pieces. And with it, tremendous grief at acknowledging where we are now. And I knew, I mean, what the healer helped me realize is that if you're not in the present, then what are you doing with your energy? Like if you're still working from 25 years ago, are you really making the most of what you're engaged in in any kind of a way? And of course, the answer is no. I need to be in the present moment working with what's now. There's lots possible right now, but it's very different to what was possible 25 years ago. And so to me, this, what I read in your workbook was this thing around grieving for dream and expectations, dreams, unfulfilled dreams and expectations. And that really spoke to me. So I guess my question is, you know, this climate change grief that people are becoming more and more aware of that, that this is a thing. What category does this fall into? What is the nature of this? Because it's quite different, I think, from a relationship ending or losing a person, or, or maybe it isn't. Please illuminate me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like climate change is grieving our foundation my husband and I have had many conversations around many things and one of the taglines we came up with is earth will be fine without humans Earth will be fine without humans. She will be just fine without us. We're the ones that will not be okay without her. Mm. And because she is our foundation, mm. everything we are comes from her, her five elements. Everything we are comes from her five elements. They are our five elements. And as we replenish our five elements, where did that come from? Her. Mm. And so not only is it a collective grief, so not only is it everybody gets to grieve this, but we're grieving the loss literally of our foundation, of everything that supports and sustains us. And I think for a lot of people, 
that is so huge boom overwhelm like just can't even can't even dip a toe in that pond can't even dip a toe in that pond so it's a lot of grief and the funny thing with emotions is so if when i'm 3 my brother stole my toy and i get angry but i'm told no no girls don't get to be angry you don't get to express that emotion girls are nice be nice to your brother and then when i'm 10 somebody at school steals my thing and i get angry and the teacher says no 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 don't be angry you know be nice and so we we get talked out of feeling and expressing our emotions in order to maintain the social order but those don't go away they just keep building up and so i think of how long it took me to figure out grief as an individual so i was well into my 30s although i had lost many things before then i just kept thinking oh oh well moving on oh oh well moving on right so we get into these habits based on all sorts of things around how we work with or don't work with our emotions and then they just keep building up until one day somebody grabs a chip out of my bowl of chips and I'm gonna lose my shit and it actually has nothing to do with the fact that you took my potato chip it has to do with the fact that my doll was taken when i was three and my you know my notebook was taken when i was 10 and like this whole build-up right and i feel like Grief is one of those emotions that unless it's something like someone very important in your life has passed away, they are dead, it is official, you now get three days to grieve. Go. But other things like the, the loss of friendship, the loss of the job you didn't like anyways, but it paid your bills so it was important to you, the loss of the dream of insert dream here, right so we have all these grief griefs that we maybe don't feel like we're allowed to feel and then now there's this there are quite a few big global griefs that are on the table and it being in that grief has all the other griefs coming up at this as well so it's big by itself Climate change grief is big by itself. Pandemic mode grief is big by itself. But add to it every other grief that you didn't have a chance to really digest and process and integrate into your system. All of that comes up. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And have we created the space in our lives and do we have the tools, whether it's meditation, whether it's energy work, whether it's journaling, like whatever your tools are, time and nature, whatever you need, do you even have space for that that creates the container to hold you while you digest the grief? Mm. Whether it's your grief from when you were three or your grief now over everything is completely different. It's not going back. The climate is where it is now, not 25. There's no going back to what it was 25 years ago. Can we hold that in order to feel processed, digest? And I, I, I believe that our ability to respond well 
is totally connected to our ability to digest how we feel about it well. Because if we can't digest how we feel, then our responses tend to be more reactive instead of responsive. So we tend to, the emotion tends to get all sploofy and, and spurty all over the place, as opposed to, wow, I've digested that. I can be with the pain, the discomfort, the everything, even the ecstasy of it. Yeah. I can be with all of it and feeling how I feel, knowing what I know. I believe this is the next thing that I can do. So until we are able to digest a portion of the grief of the, like of that loss, people won't know how to respond. They won't know how to act. They won't know how to be in action to be supportive until they can digest their grief. Totally. Mona, beautifully put, beautifully put. I'm, and I mean, you've used the analogy yourself, but like it's like digesting food, right? Until you've cleared that plate and you've given it time and it's moved through, you're not going to be ready for the next one. So, and we have a big plate. We have a big plate that we got to work our way through. Mona, um, you know, I really, really appreciate you doing this today because I know that you are moving through your own grief right now. Um, this pandemic has brought about uh, massive changes for small business owners, especially for um, people who do not see a reopening happening anytime soon, such as yoga studios and fitness outlets. Um, and you're certainly rolling with it. But where... What are you in? Can you talk a little bit about what you're in right now and how you're moving through it? Yeah, so it's so messy, isn't it? <laughs> it's so messy where there's, I, I keep reminding myself that I am safe and I am healthy and my family is safe and they are healthy as safe and as healthy as we can be given that we're in pandemic mode. And so I have genuine, sincere gratitude for that. And at the same time, um, my industry as I knew it has completely changed. So groups of people coming together in person to breathe deeply mm. and sometimes to sweat and cry deeply. <laughs> mm. um, this is not considered pandemic friendly. And so it's, it's, it's been very stressful, I think is the word that I would use for it. Very stressful. I have had many nights where my second pillar of sleep has not been mm. well supported. So I have lost quite a bit of sleep in all of this as a small business owner. Um, and it's also interesting because part of me doesn't know how much to grieve what, because I don't actually know the outcome of any, of anything. And so I have some days where I'm okay with it, or I think I'm okay with it, but I think really I'm not, I'm simply moving forward and doing the best I can with what I know because that tends to be my nature, right foot, left foot, inhale, exhale, right foot, left foot, inhale, exhale. And so to, to move in a direction and to try to support others who are also in varying degrees of pandemic grief, the world as we knew it is, it's, we're not going back to that, not for many, many years. Pandemics are a two to five year event. And so things are gonna be different for a while, 
And, and so we're grieving the life we knew. I'm grieving the business I had. I'm trying to find ways to realistically move myself and, and the people in my industry forward. So a lot of time and energy and money was spent on spaces that allowed people to gather. And now the spaces are virtual. And I'm actually quite grateful for that. We have something, right? We have something. Um, and there's still a lot of resistance to that change. So for, mm -hmm. for every one person who is willing to switch to an online yoga class, we had three to four who were unwilling. Mm -hmm. And for a variety of reasons, it is what it is. So it's, it's been challenging to try to keep navigating a, an industry that is so overhauled and so changed and in ways that we can't even fathom yet, in ways that we can't even fathom yet. I was listening to this amazing podcast, The Monk Debates, and there was somebody talking about how in high-risk situations, the thing that gets most forgotten is we forget to think to ourselves, where do I want to land after this? And what do I want it to look like? Um, he said, sometimes when big global economic things happen, we forget that we need to maintain focus on peace and stability. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, I'm not even into economics. I'm listening to all these monk dialogues because I think it's it's an, uh, a solid um a solid bunch of conversations around the potential, the medicine of this situation. And so I was very interested in listening, but I thought, wow, I find it amazing that this economist uses the same words I use, but I'm coming at it from like Ayurveda and yoga. <laughs> and I'm always like, where's the stability and how do we cultivate more ease and peace? So those are 100% the words I use in every class I teach. And this economist was talking about how where do we want the economy to land after all the shakeup that's going to happen? And he said, we need stability and we need to cultivate and maintain peace. And I thought mm. how fascinating that the, the hippy dippy yoga yogi that is me uses the exact same words as the suit and tie wearing mm. global economist. Like, wow. That's really helpful. And even on that, that, that idea where you started, you know, the, falsity that that we are separate from each other and that actually we're not all working towards the same goal I mean that is regardless of 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 how different we feel and how different we perceive the ways that we are living from those of other people or how we're approaching crises or whatever really all we want all all of us want is a beautiful future for ourselves and our children and you know maybe some people care more about other people's children than some other people do but really um I don't think we start from a bad place we're just kind of socialized into doing things in a really messed up way but that to me is really helpful to remember like yeah whether what you know the yoga therapist and the energy therapist and the economist you know, we are becoming more and more aware that actually we're after the same thing, which is, which is regaining some sort of stability again in what is becoming an increasingly unstable world. Um, Mona, I just don't, you know, 
you clearly are practicing what you preach that you have navigated through I mean you're I was I actually ran a workshop in your space you rented your space to me it was the uh, it was a Sunday afternoon and I think your studio was closed on the Tuesday or the Wednesday that was how quickly it happened and not only are you navigating through your own you know almost a decade of energy has gone into creating this but you are thinking about the people that have you have supported that work underneath you how you can still continue to support them so that they can make their way through this your capacity to hold space for yourself and for other people is incredible you are really and I was so glad when you you sent an email out yesterday I guess and somebody replied to it thank you once again Mona for showing us the way and you do you really really lead by example and you are continuing to so so grateful for the space you have created inside of yourself the stability that you work hard you have worked hard <laughs> to become the rock that you are <laughs> and to be able to continue to be that space this isn't like oh this is just the way Mona is no Mona works hard Mona works hard so I'm so grateful for you and your time and your wisdom and your incredible books can you tell me where can people get this workbook the grief workbook is available through my Namastream site and I'm waiting for my web person to put up a page on the Janati website, but I was able to get it up more quickly because I could do it on my own through the Namastream site. So anywhere on the Janati site that links to any of the Ayurvedic yoga programs, boom, it'll take you over to the list of products and then you'll be able to see that the workbook is available. Okay, janatiyoga.com and anywhere where it's linked to the Ayurvedic resources is where people can. Beautiful. And you have a podcast as well with Josh, who you actually mentioned earlier. Where can people find that? And I, you have interviewed me on your podcast. So you it was so good. Special guests. It was very It fun. was so good. And <laughs> so Josh and my podcast is called Confessions of Inappropriate Yoga Teachers. Um, and the tagline is yoga is more than you think it is. <laughs> Because <laughs> it kind of is. It's not just about feeling good. It's about doing the work, right? Wow. It's about creating the space to do the work. And so we're on Patreon. Yeah, we're on Patreon. So we can be found on patreon.com, Confessions of Inappropriate Yoga Teachers. Amazing. We're also, that one's also on Facebook. So I know that Josh has been doing an amazing job of maintaining a confessions present on Facebook, presence okay. on Facebook. I am not as um, social media savvy. Mona, thank you so, so, so much. Really, really grateful for you. Yeah. Thank you. Super grateful for you. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> mm. And thank you for listening. <laughs>